Baram you, Baram you, to your breed, your flicks, your clan be true, sheep be true, Baram you. Already off the rail. <laughs> So now we can talk properly, Matthew. Uh, this is a podcast that we host called There Will Be Movies. This is our third volume where we discuss movies of the 90s because we are going through 25 of our given favourites from any given decade. And if you can't tell, this is a me pick because we are discussing the 1995 masterpiece that is Babe, based on the novel The Sheep Pig by Dick King Smith. Matthew, how was your time visiting a tiny South Wales Farm. Look, there's there's very little reason for throwing to me. I need to know just straight away. Five stars, yes? Yes. Right. Is this a real opinion or one you made up, like Mike Thomas saying that Daredevil with Ben Affleck has better action than the Netflix show and is better because sometimes it's bad so that he can get seven likes on Twitter? He never listens to anything he's not on. He's not going to hear this. Is it a real opinion or a fake one for attention? No, this is a very real opinion. I okay. deeply, deeply love this movie. Like, I feel like everyone's kind of got that like pocket of like nostalgic favourites that you're kind of allowed to be I mean, we'll, we'll prove it next week, but... Uh, this is this is this week <laughs> and you've been saying this for a very very long time now obviously the podcast isn't founded around this opinion but one of the <laughs> the lingering opinions is babe five stars straight onto the list one of the strongest most enthusiastic picks on your behalf and i'm not gonna say babe is bad by any means i've seen babe like a hundred times 99 of them being when i was very small but five stars <laughs> <laughs> go go on make your I don't know it's just it's just it's just a movie that gives me like the warm fuzzy feelings I don't know like it is like a comfort food movie for me like I know in like an objective way there are movies that are more of a masterpiece uh -huh. than this is but this is one that I can put on and it will give me the warm fuzzy feelings it does everything that I want from this kind of movie in the same way that like Babe feels like the precursor to Paddington movies. I have written down is it the same thing that makes you think Paddington is a five star movie? Paddington 2 is a five star Sorry, movie. Paddington 2 is a five star movie. Star ratings be damned, is it basically playing to the same section of your heart? Yes, absolutely. Be and nice, I'm, I'm... be a good person, be kind, be polite. Those are the messages. Also, Babe apparently said gay rights. The hell with conforming to, to what you're supposed to be. So go, Babe. There is something that obviously gets to me, and it's also, I have a lot of respect for... I feel like when we talk about movies that are very, like, predominantly aimed at children and appealing to children, yes. what gets a pass are animated movies. Like, people are far more ready to say The Incredibles is a five-star movie, Toy Story is a five-star movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is a five-star movie. Like, I feel like animation gets this kind of, like, blanket pass where if you are great as an animation movie, people are far readily to say, like, this is a masterpiece, this is fantastic, look at the craftsmanship on hold of this, it's also one of those things. I feel like it's so much rarer in live action kids fair to be kind of this in control of tone mm. and not overly saccharine a little bit of darkness in there as well yeah and more like... than i remembered to be <laughs> honest 
And I think that's that's what I appreciate about it. It's like we all have those. Like I, I would also say that like Matilda is a great movie from the '90s. That's also in a similar vein, where like a little bit dark, but still kind of like manages to get its message across. It's all down to like who the creative people are that come on to do the project. Where obviously George Miller, who wrote the or co-wrote this movie with Chris Newman, the director, is most well known for the Mad Max movies. But I do feel like when you have someone who is willing to embrace the darkness and not speak down to children, but also let things be funny, you end up with something that like is is appealing to all ages in the same way that like Danny DeVito was obviously more well known for his dark comedies and then he does Matilda and mm. that kind of like also kind of like hits straight down the line of like this yeah. is figured out like what the tone needs to be and then the other side of it you've got movies like Flubber where it's like oh look at <laughs> let's just put Robin Williams and have him do like he dunks Ben <laughs> does Babe dunk no right debate over. You're right though, movies like this, movies like Matilda, like, I feel they don't make them like this anymore because as you say, they just animate it. Um, and they attach celebrity voices to it for better or worse. And... I mean, yeah, like, the, the ultimate version of this at the moment is Peter Rabbit, which feels like... <laughs> Yeah, that was just made by a computer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, it, it, but that thing is like, you could have a great Peter Rabbit movie, but instead mm. they're like, well, why not just do an adaptation of Beatrix Potter? I like, realise I said made by a computer when that's literally true, but I was more getting at the idea of, didn't this story come out like in the last few days that Warner Bros. have like a green lighting AI system, which is they, something that's been joked about in TV shows for like forever? There was a few years ago, there was a studio that was like building itself as like, we have an algorithm that will like, right. you put two actors names and it comes out with like yes. what the project needs to be I think how much it'll like, make in each region and yeah and exactly they, they made like five movies and all of them were bombed so <laughs> yeah. algorithms are done yes they are <laughs> but yeah i mean like but yeah it does feel like so much of products that are made for children nowadays are like well you have to have james corden as the main character <laughs> with as a society of advanced past the need for james corden <laughs> You have to have like a poop joke in there somewhere because uh -huh. you're aiming at three year olds and everyone likes a poop joke. And it's like, and you watch this movie, and like the closest move this movie gets to a poop joke is the fact that they use real animals. And at one point, one of the sheets is having a shit whilst they're like talking to it. Sure, yeah. And I'm, sh and I'm sure that's just a byproduct of like, well, they probably were just filming and the sheep was just being uncooperative. And they're like, well, this is the best shot we took. This is the best take we got. For those, those Australian sheep. <laughs> this is a genuine opinion. I would say this was probably like the movie that I watched the most in my childhood. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, probably not far off for me as well. It's just, it has been a while. <laughs> And to revisit it on the scope of our very serious grown-up movie podcast for adults, full of five-star Oscar fare. Less so, this volume. But, but Matt, <laughs> this is five-star Oscar fare. Right, well, you got me there. <laughs> I suppose that's as good a time as any at the Oscars in 1996. Babe is nominated for Best Picture. I'm not going to call that one of the least likely nominations of all time. There are many less likely things that have been nominated but that's quite an unlikely nomination I, I genuinely don't understand because like, that's the thing is like I obviously was three years old at the time this movie coming out I'm not paying attention to the Oscar race I don't think anyone I know personally in my life was paying attention to the 1996 Oscar race I'm intrigued why Babe ends up with seven nominations I think overall <laughs> including James Cromwell's only Oscar nomination in his life oh god and wait for support? How's he not the lead actor? <laughs> Babe's the lead actor. Babe's not played by a man. He's played by Chucky from Rugrats. I know, but 
sadly passed away early, but like not male. So surely by process of elimination, James Cromwell is the lead actor. I mean, James Cromwell's only got 171 words in this movie. So. Uh, yeah, and he's. I'm convinced he is the only person whose dialogue isn't dubbed over because most of them are Australian. <laughs> I'm watching this thing and I'm like, why is nobody's voice actually coming out of their mouth? I understand why we're lip-syncing the animals. Why are we lip-syncing the human beings? And I assume it's because until yesterday I didn't know it was filmed in Australia. So I assume they just grabbed a bunch of Australians, many of whom are not. I recognise the wife, but beyond that, everyone is just some random. And I assume America's ears would explode if they had. Oh, you're right there. How much does this people? Oh, like? you, you didn't. You didn't recognise the son. <laughs> no. Okay, we'll get onto that later. So yeah, what was nominated for Best Picture? So Babe nominated alongside Apollo 13, Braveheart, Il Postino, The Postman, and Sense and Sensibility. Braveheart wins. Mel Gibson wins Best Director. You got Nicolas Cage and Susan Sarandon taking home the acting awards. And Kevin Spacey and Mira Savino. That feels weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 obviously, like, usual suspects, Kevin Spacey is, like, a defining role, no matter how much both directors director and actor are huge pieces of shit mm. the, the double deuce as they call it <laughs> it is kind of insane to think that babe got nominated for best picture over usual, usual suspects sure, sure did <laughs> sure did <laughs> quite a time to be alive that might be a soft set of best picture nominees really sense and sensibility is my second favorite uh-huh. of those nominees that would, I th- that would be where i would go second as well sensibility is like it's not my favorite Ang Lee but it's definitely like I think it's probably the best Jane Austen adaptation apart from like the BBC uh, Prime Prejudice miniseries of course yeah like sense and sensibility is good Apollo 13 and Braveheart both feel like ultimate dad movies (laughs) my dad has no greater hate watch than Braveheart adores it because he's the most Scottish man in the world hates it because he's the most Scottish man in the world basically to clarify is Kevin Costner's The Postman a remake of Il Postino The Postman I don't think so. Okay, because that's I do just want, funny. I do not want to pin my statement. <laughs> that's just very funny that two years in a row a film called The Postman comes out. Why not, babe? Why not, babe? <laughs> because, but that's like, you look at 1995 and some other movies that are nominated to the Oscars that you kind of go, like, in a, in a different situation that might have got nominated. Like, you've got mm. Usual Suspects, you've got 12 Monkeys, you've got Toy Story, which wins its, like, special Oscar because, obviously, it's the first 3D animated movie with it didn't even get nominated for like visual effects yes Spade wins over Apollo 13 and no other nominees because they just don't give a shit once you go far enough down (laughs) and they're like no two two films nominated fuck off yeah, Babe has, like, a lot of, like, technical nominations. Like, it's nominated yeah. for film editing, it's nominated for art direction. I mean, there are undoubtedly some moments where it's like, this is a puppet. But some of it, it's like, you know what? You've put in some work to make this passable. A lot of quick cuts to, like, you know... <laughs> don't focus on the animal for too long kind of thing. Just get a picture of it in your head and then let the voice acting take you away. But you can see a lot worse in terms of trying to make animals look like they're talking. Some background information. So this movie is based, as I said earlier on, based on The Sheep Pig by Dick King Smith. Have you read many Dick King Smiths? Maybe once upon a time, no conscious memory of any of them. I think he's most famous in the UK for The Queen's Nose. Mm -hmm. Oh, of course, of course. (laughs) Don't explain it. Just, I want everyone to write in and guess what the Queen's, Queen's Nose is about. <laughs> it's just say that the plot of that TV show is based around someone owning a 50 pence piece. 
and how many seasons did they get out of it? They got seven seasons. And I watched them all, I think. Didn't they even have like a passing the torch to a new cast kind they of absolutely, moment? They absolutely did. Amazing. Nothing gets seven seasons anymore. <laughs> but it's British, it's only 44 episodes. But of 44 course, episodes where the entire plot revolves around a 50 pence piece. A gentleman's seven <laughs> seasons. But yeah, so it's based on Dick Kingsmith, The Sheep Pig, which comes out in 1983. I believe George Miller reads it, or his daughter reads it, and basically he options the rights to the film then and there, after he's read it and found it quite charming. But he sits on it for ten years until he feels that special effects have kind of reached a point where... they <laughs> the answers actually... aren't ready. Because <laughs> like, he can't do Mad Max Free Road until he gets the money to do it. Yeah. He can't do Babe until ten years later because of the, 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 the needed special effects that he's going to need to have. Well, one out of two of them, but... <coughs> just leave that to hand so George Miller obviously is probably like the, the guiding force behind this he doesn't direct this he he isn't directing anything at the time I do believe he's like on set with Chris Noon and awful yes. lot of it testy about the fact he did not direct it apparently <laughs> yeah it's, it's that weird thing where like Chris Noonan directs it and Chris Noonan has only one other credit to his name after this where he directs Miss Potter which is not as successful as this by any stretch of the imagination Chris Noonan feels that like he he does this as George Miller's protege because George Miller is coming off of having done three Mad Max movies, which is Eastwick, and then his his Oscar pivot with Lorenzo's Oil, which is a intensely weird movie. Like you think it's going to be the most Oscar-y baity Oscar movie of all time, where they're trying to figure out how to cure their son's ALD using some kind of oil. That, and that doesn't sound like the plot that Troy describes in Community. We describe the plot of Lorenzo's oil. I really, I think he makes it up. It's the one with all the lookalikes. Why is he out of his quadrant? He's reenacting a movie. Please. What movie were Jamie Lee Curtis and Lorenzo Lamas in together? See, now I'm just embarrassed for you. Because you've never seen Lorenzo's oil. Lorenzo is an oil tycoon that gets his address book switched with Jamie Lee Curtis's. And they give each other piggyback rides. I can't believe it. Did you go to college? Yes. No. Whatever. Keep working. Uh, no one's seen Lorenzo's Oil. Lorenzo's Oil is a weird movie. It's functionally like Nick Nolte having a breakdown. <laughs> the main crux of the movie is like Nick Nolte trying to discover some way to heal his son, and it's just like him kind of like dancing around his son's bed. Much as Farmer Hogger dances around for the pig. Yep. Another Babe crossover, like Elizabeth Daly does the voice for Lorenzo in that movie, who goes on to voice Babe in Babe Pig in the City. Uh, it's all oh, connected. Oh, recasting. Controversial. Yep. Yeah, they cut recast Chucky for for Tommy in, in the sequel. <laughs> to be fair, no disrespect to Christine Kavanagh, but Tommy Pickles' voice actor is is better. Just saying. In general, uh, maybe not as Babe. George Miller like is obviously like trying to figure out what he's going to do next. He claims that he sets Babe up on a platter for Chris Noonan. Like he's like, there's no way that you can fuck up directing this movie. Essentially, like this movie is like a complete layup. You're gonna yeah. just completely own this. And Chris Noonan basically feels that George Miller's trying to wrestle control of the movie away from him. Accuses him of like removing his name from like internet message boards as director of the movie and stuff like that. And it's just really petty. So petty for a quasi live action pig film. <laughs> but again, it, it comes back to my claim that like. Great art comes from a little bit of conflict. Yes, rising up through adversity to make the pig movie. Yeah, but I think it's like, I, mean, I know that James Cromwell has come out and said that, like, Chris Noonan and George Miller had tensions on the set, but it's like, <laughs> as long as the thing between you two isn't affecting the creative work that everyone else is doing, then maybe you are making a better movie for it. But obviously, not condoning people being absolute arseholes on set and, like, threatening to kill careers and stuff like that. But 
I do feel like a little bit of headbutting is is a good thing. But so this leads on to basically George Miller obviously gets very jealous that Chris Noonan has directed Babe. Chris Noonan. Why didn't he just direct it himself then? <laughs> I, I don't understand any of. I I understand it. Like he's on set every day. You yeah. He doesn't direct a movie between 1992 and 1998 unless you include 40,000 Years of Dreaming, which is a documentary. Is he basically scared it will flop and he doesn't want his name attached to it and then the opposite happens and he's suddenly like, well, I basically directed it. I genuinely don't know. I, I, I really want to know the behind-the-scenes stuff that went on this movie, like why Miller doesn't direct it, why he changes his mind if he does want to direct a halfway through production, and then you come onto the fact that he does direct Babe Pig in the City, which is a notorious flop of a movie that has had a little bit of a like critical re-evaluation in the last couple of years. I refuse to watch it out of uh, solidarity for Noonan. <laughs> Some people think it's better than the original. I disagree vehemently with that. It is a billion times weirder as a movie. It feels. I mean, they're like in a city. Sounds pretty weird, man. God, the city's so weird. Is it an so... Australian city, or did they no. film in, in America this time? No, it's like a set. They build an entire set, oh, and no. <laughs> it's supposed to be in America. But it's every single city in the world put together. So when they fly in, it's like there's the Sydney Opera House and there's the Empire State Building and there's Big Ben and it's like just <laughs> this mismatch of all the cities and it's supposed to be like so it's Las Vegas. <laughs> sort of. And then they end up in like an animal hostel and then there's people coming to kidnap all the animals and then it ends up in like a in like a really bougie like upper class uh, like fundraiser where there's just monkeys and pigs and dogs everywhere and it's just the most chaotic ending to a movie ever. Also, it's really fucking dark. It feels like if you're going to attribute the combination of Chris Noonan and George Miller together, like George Miller getting to basically do whatever the fuck he wants to do in Babe Pig in the City leads to him kind of giving in to his almost Mad Maxian impulses. But it doesn't have the same kind of like offsetting nature of the heart of this movie, which might be coming from Chris Noonan, considering he does like Miss Potter, which is like incredibly cheesy. We watch the trailer for it afterwards, and it's got like the music from Love Actually in it, and it's like like <laughs> kind of you've got the perfect synthesis of like heartfelt and dark kind of coming together, and then you take the two away from each other, and you end up with this like weirdly the things they do outside of each other in this kind of realm feel weird and I mean, not as fully formed as this one is. I think I've got and everything I need to know about it out of this one line. Adam Goldberg as Fleelick, a disabled, talkative Jack Russell Terrier. Yeah. Say who no almost, more. Who almost dies. <laughs> of course. I mean, you don't cast Adam Goldberg for a happy, fun time. Unless you're the TV show Joey. But yeah, so that's Babe Pig in the City. Yeah. And then obviously George Miller then goes on to direct Happy Feet. Yes. Wins the Oscar for Happy Feet. Yes, of course. Basically, I think at some point in all this, Justice League is falling apart around him. Uh And so he basically says, I want to direct Mad Max 4. Give me money for Mad Max 4 because I've just made you a huge financial hit in Happy Feet and won you an Oscar. And Warner Brothers say, do Happy Feet 2 first. (laughs) Run it back. Prove it wasn't a fluke. Do Happy Feet 2 first and then we'll let you make Mad Max Free Road. He makes (sighs) Happy Feet 2, which is again, like, ultimate example of he just makes fucking weird sequels to original movies. told me about this i think on a random episode (laughs) yeah in which you have matt damon and brad pitt playing gay lovers who are krill obviously and the entire final of the finale of the movie is like a big dance number to make the ice like a glacier like reform itself 
I can only imagine that all of the creatures, you know, jumping around on it, generating all that heat would make it Oh, no, no, because no, the, the, the final thing is the krill underwater managed to find their entire family and they're doing a little dance on the underside uh-huh. and all of the krill at the same time stamp their feet and cause the, the glacier to split in half. Again, <laughs> weird sequels to movies that I think actually kind of like managed to name their tone in the first half, but like, yeah, so that, that's... Sorry, I'll throw, I'll throw the spoiler tag on, on, on happy feet. <laughs> you know what's occurred to me? Never once have we ever given a spoiler warning for any of these episodes but hopefully by now you realize yes we spoil everything we spoil everything like tangentially related to the movies that we're discussing about <laughs> nothing is safe so yeah, that's background context on george miller there's not really much to say about chris noonan i think he does a great job at directing this but like the more interesting stuff about chris noonan is the relationship with miller i think mm. which isn't to take away the fact that like it does this must have been a pig of a shoe is that expression <laughs> a pig of something yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. okay. yeah, you know, you're wrangling animals and you've got one professional actor. <laughs> well, and no, a guy from just... Power Rangers the movie, which is, I assume, what you were getting at when you said, did I not recognise the sun? No, it's actually a oh. thing for him. Oh my god, okay. Well, he was a construction worker in Power Rangers the movie, also shot in Australia, so that would make sense. He's one of the agents in The Matrix as well. No! Why isn't that... Oh, it's right there. Played Agent Brown in The Matrix. And Stark in Farscape. His four most known roles are Agent Brown in The Matrix, Construction Worker in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Stark in Farscape, and Son-in-Law in Babe. Alright. Wow. (laughs) That might be my favourite actor in the world. (laughs) Just really bringing together all the projects I love. Secretly, Babe is a prequel to The Matrix, considering it features two Matrix actors. Yeah, it's just a prior version of The Matrix. In canon, there were like six previous Matrixes, and they're very vague about what happened in them, and one of them was, you were all on a farm in Australia, and you were all different animals on the farm. It was a metaphor for capitalism. The machines read Animal Farm, and we're like, okay, and they made Babe. So just to pull some facts about the animals, because obviously, like, if, what's the rule in show business? Like, never work with kids or animals. Yes. <laughs> and boy, did they work with some animals. So there's 48 pigs that play Babe over the course of the movie, because baby pigs grow up very fast, and it was they a six-month shoot. The one that plays him when he's weighed at the very beginning, incredibly cute. The film had 56 animal trainers on set to handle nearly 1,000 animals. <laughs> I assume most of those 1,000 animals are sheep. You would have to figure. Um, and that's why most of them get stolen in a plot point. <laughs> this is too many sheep. Reduce the number of sheep we have. Speaking of which, like, so I come from a legacy of farmers in Wales. Not New South Wales, like actual Wales. <laughs> I can never get over. Did you watch much Mitchell and Weblock? Yes, yeah, yeah, the, the joke of Mitchell and Weblock when they're going around naming countries. It's 90 degrees in the shade, even though it's November. There are herds of seven-foot-tall, two-legged creatures bouncing across the landscape at tremendous speeds. Yes. Do you know where it reminds me of? Wales. What, the vast terra incognita with fauna and flora hitherto undreamt of by sights puts you in mind of nothing so much as real? No, of course not. Not North Wales. That's ridiculous. It's nothing like North Wales. No, South Wales, of course. The resemblance is uncanny. Yes, sorry, you come from a long line of, of sheep farmers. Yeah, and they're just like, the idea 
that like someone could train sheep to do the stunts that they do in this movie genuinely it speaks to your culture. No, it just baffles me. I'm like, sheep are dumb. Like, how did you get them to walk in like double rows in like the most calmly ordered thing in the world? Yeah, like, I, I mean, in a film where you have talking animals, you don't really consider the logistics of when he does magically herd all the sheep in perfect fashion. It's like, well, I think those are all real sheep that are actually doing that. <laughs> so, what happened? <laughs> I think the pig has been CG'd in at points. Maybe pigs and sheep don't actually get along very well, but. Certainly some impressive sheep herding going on here, and that's why it wins the Oscar. Because that's the thing, is like you watch the shot of like the, the sheep being herded around and stuff like that, and the three of them move, and then the one sheep knows enough to like walk in and stand in a perfect line with the other ones. I'm like, how have you done this? This yeah. is obviously up to this point in the, the talking animal like kind of like canon, you've got things like homeward bound. Yes. But I feel like dogs and cats are so much easier to manage. L- look who's talking, you know. Everyone discovered things that shouldn't be talking, talking is is gold. Let's get into the plot of the movie, but first of all, we need to see how well it did. On a budget of $30 million, it makes $254 million. In dispute, though. One source saying that, another saying 246 Either way, a lot of money. It debuts at number three on August 4th, 1995, behind Waterworld in its second week, and something to talk about. But ahead of Virtuosity, The Net, Apollo 13, Clueless... Nine months, Operation Dumbo Drop and Bushwhacked. Braveheart, way down at number 30 in its 11th week, hanging around. And then uh, Pulp Fiction is still there. In week 43, it is at number 48. Quite a thing for such a bad movie. But Babe is a good movie, so let's talk about that. Canonically, Babe, better than Pulp Fiction, which I think I can trap you into agreeing with. Uh, No, you absolutely can. I've got Pulp Fiction at 9 out of 10 on on Letterboxd, and I've got Babe at 10 out of 10. Well, look how that fell. (laughs) That is the official position of this podcast, and thus this website, as I am chief editor, so... Yeah, we'll ignore the list on the website that claims that Pulp Fiction is the greatest movie of all time. Yep. I'm now just looking at like the difference because obviously, so obviously this movie was filmed in Australia, so obviously it has a healthy box office in Australia. I believe it like, actually made like a really decent amount of money over there. So only 64 million dollars of its domestic of the gross come from the domestic box office numbers, and eight 182 million dollars comes from international box mm, office. Um, a rarity to do better in the international, I would say. Although technically considered an Australian movie according to Wikipedia, but hey. <laughs> But I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like I'm sure there were movies that were doing that kind of thing. But like, I don't think it was a, a common thing for movies that make over like 200 million dollars to be making most of their money internationally. And I don't know if it's just like maybe the UK and Australia are like such huge bases for Dick King Smith, and America's just yeah. thinking like, who's this guy? Being a bit flippant at the beginning, but definitely saw this dozens of times as a child. Adults are subjected to some utter shite to please their children, <laughs> but. All of my memory is that my family genuinely got something out of Babe, so didn't mind that I watched it over and over again. Huge over here, for sure. Too big brain for America, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it didn't crack 100 over there. No, I mean, you know, it's part of the Matrix, and the Matrix is very complicated. There's <laughs> a dog trying to make sure you conform and don't rebel against the Matrix. It all fits, Ben. <laughs> The plot of this movie isn't the most important thing in the world. I, I think, like, important things to touch on are, like, how dark that opening is with yeah. the, like, incredible Roscoe Lee Brown narration. He's, like, narrating the life of this baby pig as, like, they're talking about, like, the heaven that pig, or, like, the, the greatest f- place in the world that these pigs go to. They find a lot of euphemisms for dying and being eaten ground up into various pieces throughout this movie. 
it's an interesting counterpoint. Like you mentioned Animal Farm earlier, and like mm. it really does play like the sequence of Animal Farm where the horse is sent to the glue factory, yeah. and like yeah. they're all saying like, "Oh no, he's going to somewhere to get better." And then mm-hmm. like literally in the same way, like they notice the side of the truck says "glue factory," and they notice the side, or you notice is the the fact that the truck is crawling past with like meat on the side mm. of it. And when Hoggett is is considering killing Babe, like Babe had a vague memory of food coming out of tubes, and it's like, oh god. They really linger on the shot of Babe when he's like tied up looking like the most adorable little piglet in the world. I know, I know. That reminds me of my favourite, one of my favourite Weezer songs, which is called Pig, which is a song about two pigs that are in love and then the end of the song is one of the pigs being killed and it literally ends with like a snare drum designed to sound like a shotgun shot. Classic Rivers Cuomo. Is this the most off the rails a podcast has ever been? (laughs) We knew this was going to be off the rails. I mean, I'm having a fun time, We've been to the Matrix twice, and now Weezer in the Pig movie. We're touching on all of my favourite things. Like, Weezer are my favourite band, the Matrix is one of my favourite movies. Shame you didn't get to talk about it. I think I actually made the claim, I rewatched the Matrix this week, so I've had a lot of humor in my life. (laughs) I did too. I think we watched it on the same night. We are just becoming one person. Soon I'll really like Weezer instead of kind of liking Weezer. But yeah, I I think I put the the thing up on my Instagram where it's just like, there is an argument to be made that this is the greatest movie of all time. Babe, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, like, the the movie functionally doesn't really have a plot until an hour in. Yeah, it really is just a series of vignettes, isn't it? Like, like, it it straight up feels like they're very much, like, literally adapting the book, because the book's only 118 pages. It's 118 pages? <laughs> That's much I'm longer sure it's than that. Okay, cool, yeah. But yeah, like, it's, it starts off with, like, it feels like, yeah, as you said, like, vignette sketchy. There's the duck that's becoming a rooster because he doesn't want to get eaten, so we need to go steal the clock and just general, like, animal hijinks. And then it starts to, like, slowly set up while Babe likes hanging out with the dogs and therefore Babe befriends the sheep. And then it slow rolls itself into this kind of thing whilst Mm. maintaining this more loosey-goosey, sketchy structure as it goes through. There's no geese in it, You have the very dark opening. You have... Hoggett guessing Babe's weight and winning and winning a free pig. Everyone discussing, like, oh, this is going to be great for Christmas. I feel like Babe <laughs> is still too small at Christmas. Oh, yeah. For them contemplating eating him. I mean, like, I, I don't know the, the dark practices that go into eating meat. I mean, I eat meat, but I, I would assume you don't eat piglets, but maybe you do. But I also feel like, as we learn from the production of this movie, baby piglets grow up very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, presumably, like, they have this pig for a few months, it would be a hell of a lot bigger than babies, but right. they maintain babe as like a piglet level yes. for a weirdly long amount of time. Keep it cute for as long as possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the same reason why people buy teacup pigs, and then like yes. when it becomes like a proper sized pig, they start to get a little bit repulsed by it because it just you bought a pig as a farmyard animal in your in your New York apartment. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of just before Christmas where you get a plot. Really, I mean, I guess it kind of starts with Babe and Ferdinand get into the. This is so wild. We're discussing this. <laughs> babe and Ferdinand get into the hijinks in the house. Rex tells them off and is like, right, you're a pig, be a fucking pig. You're you're a duck, not a rooster. That duck is banned from, <laughs> exiled from the Matrix. And then uh, Rex and Fly's puppies get bought. And just every time you remember, like, this is fucked up, that we as humans just routinely just break up these little families. And then Babe gets adopted by Fly and, and, and calls Fly mom. And that, that's very cute. And yeah, then, and then he, he becomes a sheep pig. And he becomes a sheep pig. It's, it's so weird how 
disconnected the Ferdinand stuff in the first half of this movie is <laughs> from where it goes later. Like, I enjoy all the hijinks. I enjoy their breaking into the house. They really are like Chekhov's gun in the fact that, like, this paint is going to go everywhere. Super belabor the point, but like, I love the scoring of the entire scene where, like, you just have the kind of classical music that's building and building in the background as they're going about all these things. Mm. And then, like, when you finally think they're fine, Ferdinand sneezes and yeah. the cat destroys the house. And uh, just good of the film to adopt the, a bit, the position that cats are canonically evil and rats are the best thing. One nil me. The mice, the mice in this movie are adorable. Yeah, I guess, I guess they Poss- are mice, yes. But close enough. <laughs> Possibly my favourite thing is, yeah. like, them singing If I Had Words in, like, sort of high-pitched voice or whatever. Is, is it just, like, the pitched-up original recording of the song? Or I just, they, like, I just, it doesn't credit anyone else, so I think they maybe did just chipmunk effect it. When did the... the actually, I think they were doing the chipmunk phenom decades before this. Yeah, um, yeah, but, chipmunks are, like, in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it makes a comeback every few decades, I guess. But yeah, like, Rusty Taylor voices the cat. Rusty Taylor probably best known for voicing Minnie Mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, a great evil bitch character, essentially. But my favourite little subtle piece of characterization is everyone outside on the farm refers to Arthur Hoggett as, like, the, the master. Or the boss. Boss, yeah. Uh, and, then, and then the cat is just like, oh yeah, the boss's husband. Because <laughs> she sees Esme as the, as the boss. And it's like the only one. Fun little characterization moments like that, where it's like, she's the only one who's on Esme side because that's the only animal that Esme presumably like deals with has an invested interest in when she's making her jam and gossiping with all her friends yes off um, to the WI but America but Australia yeah Magda Zubansky is like fun deeply weird that she's like 30 years old when she gets cast in this movie and they age her up by 20 years <laughs> she's 60 right now and James Cromwell is 81 so there's a 21 year age difference between mm. the two of them but yeah. and was she is... was she given the instruction talk as fast as humanly possible we we don't have all day or, or is that just how she talks I think it's just how she talks because this is her first okay. feature film role she comes from Australian sketch comedy I think where she's like on the degeneration and fast forward she also is on fast Gate. Good old Fastscape. Welcome to yeah. our Fastscape podcast. And I think I think at this point she's probably best well known for Kath and Kim, the Australian sitcom right, that they right, tried right, to remake right, right. in America. I love America's fascination with remaking things. That they, they just believe fundamentally that even if they market it, people will not read films, they will not listen to films with non-American voices. Like they're remaking Train to Busan right now, I think. Just watch it. It's not <laughs> It's not that dense on, like, plot that you're going to need to constantly read. I also Um, have to imagine part of it is, like, the idea that, like, we'll remake it as a TV show. (sighs) Because foreign TV shows only have, like, six episodes and we can't, like, structure a season of of television around that, so... Look, they made a bad TV show set on a train, okay? (laughs) I think they're still making it, or if they finally cancelled it. No, it's been renewed for season four. Fucking hell! I mean, I gave it a shot. I was like, I'll watch it, whatever. I don't watch a lot of things. It's on Netflix, I'll give it a go. I didn't even finish the first series, and I'm just baffling. I mean, it is where, I believe, Sean Bean makes his money now. Of course. Yeah, he plays uh, Mr. Wolford. Who they were trying to say doesn't exist for a while. Yeah. They were trying to to big brother it for a bit. Spoilers for Snowpiercer, are there any of like your any of these like little sticky like sketchy things that like stick out in your mind as like your favorite ones? Because I definitely kind of get way more wrapped up in the actual like arc of fundamentally Babe's a sports movie. <laughs> oh, what bold position to take! 
I guess. Ben yeah. has the structure of a sports movie. Okay. He comes from a position of adversity, uh-huh. and then he's the underdog team who wins massively at the end. Uh-huh, uh-huh. In the face of mockery, his unorthodox tactics win over hearts and minds. Um, Jesus, okay. Yeah, alright. I may never recover, is the thing. <laughs> I mean... Farmer Hoggart may have quite a number of open police cases given, like, people come and just start stealing his sheep, and he just rebuilds the gate that clearly was no obstacle before, and then, like, feral dogs kill one of the sheep, and it's just like, whoa, like, is this just the life of a farmer and you just accept it? That, like, oh, you're gonna get some sheep thieves. I sort of just assume sheep are just fucking everywhere and you don't need to steal them, but maybe he has particularly good sheep. Up in Carlisle last weekend, we were driving around in the Lake District, and uh-huh. there were just sheep in the road. And it's like, yeah. you just easily go and pick up this sheep. Like, yes, you've spray painted the sheep a little bit to like to mark it as your own, but like, I could definitely just walk over, pick it up, put it in the back of the car, and then drive off, and you would be none the wiser unless. <laughs> They're all, like, microchipped and, like, radio-tagged. I mean, one day we will make a movie after we after we finish discussing all the good ones, and that may be the plot, is you just picking up a sheep in Carlisle, <laughs> and then you turn up for a podcast recording with a sheep, and I'm like, why is there a sheep here? And then it will just evolve from there. I then try and train the sheep in the same way the sheep is trained in this movie to, like, <laughs> be great at dog trials. <laughs> Again, like with so now, like in the actual like street training, but I love the movie is just about being nice and talking to other people in yes. the same way that I said earlier, like Paddington 2 is just be nice, to talk to people. Yes. So you have Miriam Margolis, wild casting by the way, for Fly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Miriam Margolis is like maternal, but like I definitely don't see her as like her and Hugo Weaving is like the Alpha and Omega. She's the Oracle, and then he's. I guess he's still Smith, but I, I don't know who the architect is. I guess that's George Miller, the unseen <laughs> creative force in a white room somewhere. Yeah, Miriam Margolis, Hugo Weaving, obviously playing the two the two dogs, and both of them coming from the perspective that sheep are just fucking idiots. Yes, and I do like the detail that when when Fly finally buys into Babe's philosophy and tries to talk to the sheep, it's like it's a well known fact that sheep are stupid, and then like it's a well known fact that wolves are stupid. Wolves are ignorant, isn't it? Wolves wolves are ignorant ignorant and and, and sheep are stupid, yes, sorry. But yeah, as nice as Fly is and and maternal and accepting of Babe while Rex the whole time is like, he's a fucking pig, be a pig. Even she is like, no, sheep suck and uh, don't talk to them, they're scum. Yeah, and then Babe's just like nice because he met Ma and Ma was nice to him. And so like, he's just like, ladies, could you just come and follow me in there? And then they're just like perfectly willing and helpful to do it. And it's just just nice. It's nice messaging. Like obviously like it's good moral messaging. And then there's also like the fact in the background of this movie where like apparently like this is completely unvetted IMDb trivia. But like someone said that USA pork sales dropped 20% after this movie came out. I've seen multiple claims that there was a, big rise in vegetarianism following this. I mean, yeah, the thing is, because, like, this movie, like, it, it plays with it quite a lot. Like, when they have the Christmas dinner and they decide not to kill Babe, they instead kill a duck and they really, like, ring it out for a while and make you think that they've killed Ferdinand. I know. Like, <laughs> I was like, how needlessly dickish. <laughs> the implication that it's, like, maybe Ferdinand's beloved or something. <laughs> she was a beautiful duck. And again, like, it's just like, animals have personalities and, pe- and people like maybe don't kill them just to eat them kind of thing. And you have like the circle of life on the farm where they're going through like, well, all these animals have points. The animals that don't have points are there for food. Which is why Ferdinand crows like a rooster so he can, he can and wants to break the alarm clock. 
even though they have a rooster, which babe falls off the ramp trying to talk to it. The most adorable, presumable outtake in the entire movie, like... <laughs> Animals just fall off things. Yeah, I just imagine the show and Christine Kavanaugh say, like, this is the one we're going to do. Can you do your most adorable pig falling off a a piece of wood stand? Yeah. Babe finds out he's got a trick for, like, taking care of the sheep. He protects the sheep against two individual, like, feral dog and dog attacks. He alerts them that sheep thieves are here. And they only make off with most of the sheep instead of all of the sheep. (laughs) Like, a comically few number of sheep left at the end. But Which enough to learn be... to herd with. Yeah, but it must be incredibly worrying being the son of this person, or like the son-in-law of this person, mm. where he's like going through his books, or Ag- Agent Brown or whatever it is, is going through the, his father-in-law's <laughs> books and going like, you don't make any money from this, what do you what do? you do? And now you've got less sheep, so you can't even like men- make, make money off like selling their, their fleeces. Mr. Hoggett helps his landlady take out her garbage. Um... <laughs> And, and introduces him to the advent of the fax machine, uh, which he does go on to use to enter the to enter pig in the competition. Just wacky. Every time a human talks that isn't Cromwell, I'm like, what is happening? My favourite stretch of this movie yeah. is functionally like when Esme goes away with her WI friends to to go be like the upper northwest regional assistant secretary or whatever it is that she says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just Farmer Hoggett like having control of the house and like letting both dogs and Babe come inside and like chill with him. Oh, what a moment! As the, as the cat gives up its spot in front of the fire, and then obviously like scares Babe off. Babe goes and like gets hypothermia in the middle of nowhere because it's scared that Babe is food now. Mm-hmm. And then you just get like Abe being nursed back to health to try and compete in the in the sheep herding competition. Yeah, and, and the reveal that Rex went deaf trying to save some sheep from a flood. Not quite sure the logistics of that medically, but I'll go with it. It's a film about talking animals. And just like the sequence where Babe is refusing to drink water and mm-hmm. Farmer Hoggett starts singing If I Had Words and does the jig of him, like, I genuinely cry floods of tears every single time I see that scene. Feeding it with a baby bottle and then and, and dancing for him, yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's just adorable and heartwarming in, like, every way that I love. And it's just, like, like uh, you can never accuse Cromwell of not giving it his all in, like, everything he's in. He's in some real shit, he's in some real great stuff, and I think he basically treats it all the same and, you know, not afraid to do something as silly as this. Uh, and will still decades later be playing grumpy patriarchs in succession making Craig drive him what 30 hours with no food or something yes I mean, this is where I do my my next hot take, which is James Cromwell should have won the Oscar act uh, should have won the Oscar for this. So James James Cromwell nominated against Kevin Spacey, Ed Harris, Brad Pitt, Tim Roth. Yeah, I mean, I guess. One of those people is, you know, retroactively loses every piece of acclaim. Ed Harris is is decent in Apollo 13. Brad Pitt is pretty good in 12 Monkeys. I've never seen Rob Roy. I haven't in a long time. I have minimal memory of Tim Roth and Rob Roy, but... I... I guess I'll go with you on that, but my instinct would be Brad Pitt and 12 Monkeys, but... Brad Pitt and 12 Monkeys is also a great performance, but I just think... James Cromwell fully understands what he's asked to do in this movie. He signs on to this movie thinking he doesn't have many lines and then ultimately finds out that he's going to be like on set almost every single day where it isn't just the animatronic puppets. And like apparently like this, up to this point in his career, this is the most screen time he ever had in 
in any project. Yeah, I was uh, I was reading this trying to like figure out where it falls in his career, and it is basically the first feature movie listed in every section of his profiles and stuff. And it's like it wasn't his first movie, but it's his first like big movie where he is, you know, like you say, like his his largest role in a movie to date, and. You know, he gets an Oscar nomination, <laughs> so... You mentioned animatronics. Before we go any further, I must mention a note I made. In the opening credits, animatronic characters by Jim Henson's Creature Shop, sheep characters by John Cox Robo Technology, is probably one of my favourite one-two punches of credit I've ever seen. Sheep characters. How did that phrasing get past anything? Anyway, no. Fine. Fuck it. Official position of the podcast, James Cromwell, Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. The 68th Academy Award. Still, I would say he is the lead actor, but never mind. <laughs> Probably stands less chance there against Nicolas Cage, Richard Dreyfuss, Anthony Hopkins, Sean Penn, and Massimo Troisi. Eh, fuck it. Give yeah. him both. Yeah, and then the movie just becomes, like, as I said, it becomes a sports movie. Yes. Where you have Esme watching it on the TV in... In your training montage. <laughs> the training montage, but Esme watching it on the TV, and basically, like, she sat there going, like, oh, A. Hog is here to compete with his dog, Pig. And she sat there going, like, oh, she knows what's Pig. going on. I love that she faints. Just great physical comedy from, from Magda Sabansky. Like, I have to imagine, like, this is what she auditioned on, because up to this point, yeah. like, she's just kind of playing, like, over manic housewife whereas this is like she's getting to like flex like physical comedy muscles a little bit and this is the point where you can tell she's 20 years younger than everyone (laughs) i guess you stand her next to james cromwell and you're just like all right but when she's with the fellow wi type people it's like well this is clearly a much younger woman than than all of these people she's good there and and yeah that crowd just savage and and the judges just you know you're making a mockery of our our sheep trials and the the rule book doesn't say you must enter a dog and a sheep dog competition (laughs) is wild i think they call it sheep herding competition fine but like could you just get a person on all fours and (laughs) what are we talking (laughs) do they even have to be on all fours can the person not just walk around and where is the line, I guess, it dep- I guess it depends whether or not it says animal at any point. Because right. if it says animal, then you probably would have to exclude a human. Humans are animals? Uh, no, sorry, they're a virus. Sorry. <laughs> I thought our bound episode was going to be our Matrix episode, but instead Babe is our Matrix Surprise! <laughs> Babe can't talk to these these sheep at the yes, competition for some reason. the new sheep. They're different sheep. They're a different breed of sheep, I think. Yeah, but they still understand English. I'm just confused why Babe being nice... I assume it's like when you go to Quebec and and they pretend they don't speak English and they only speak French, but they do speak English, but if you try and speak French to them, they're like, okay, fine. I assume it's like that. (laughs) Okay. So the tension is they've they've overcome the hurdle of Babe is allowed to compete because Thumbhoggit wasn't asked name of dog, he was asked just name of animal, or or however it was phrased. Yes, he knew that if it said dog, he he would have no choice but to lie. Luckily. Name of entrant. Yes. Quote marks. Pig. Yeah, but the tension of this comes from... How will Babe be able to communicate with these sheep if they just keep ignoring him? So Rex gallantly decides to go choke down his pride and get the password to talk to other sheep from the group of sheep who obviously still love Babe because of the relationship he had with Ma. Mm-hmm. Uh, Key that the competition takes place within sprinting distance for a dog. <laughs> also, on, on that side note, when Ma dies and Babe has the faintest bit of blood on his snout and Hog gets like, well, clearly the, clearly <laughs> the pig... Which barely has teeth, as we've established. Savaged, wrestled the sheep to the ground and 
tore its throat out and then sat there looking adorable with... (laughs) Like, that's clearly what happened here. Not that it sniffed around at the body or anything like that. So I'll have to kill it and then eat it. And do do they shoot animals that they... I, I thought that was the whole thing. You don't shoot them if you're going to eat them because then you fill it, you, you spoil the meat or whatever. Yeah, but um, Babe needs to be punished and so Babe won't be eaten. So he's going to get old yellowed? <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, Rex, Smith sees the light and, and he unplugs himself from the machines and goes rogue and uh, gets the passwords to Zion that let Babe talk to the other people. <laughs> and like unlock the, the one inside him. Barami, and... barami, <laughs> and then you're the one. Babe sees the code is basically what it is, you know, like, like that. I don't believe it, like, <laughs> like all of that. It's not that he can stop bullets, it's that he can hurt sheep with just his words. Yeah, and then, like, this, like, I love this sequence. The way that, like, it starts and all Farmer Hoggett says is, like, away to me, pig. Mm. And then everyone's so confused because Babe just goes and talks to the sheep for a little bit. And then this entire sequence in silence as the sheep are so uniform and Babe is just doing his thing and Farmer Hoggett says nothing is just... I love it so much because it's got such this perfect command of tone and what it needs to be so that when the final moments come when Babe leads them into the fence or like the little holding area and Farmer Hoggett closed the gate and then you just get like the huge roar of cheers from the crowd as everyone Riotous. likes to celebrate. Yeah, <laughs> right. This is the funniest thing they've ever seen and then suddenly the most impressive thing they've ever seen. <laughs> Which it, like fundamentally would be like you're like there's no way the pig's going to be good at this. And then you just watch this, like, silent flex. Because, like, normally when you watch dogs do sheep herding, there's a lot of barking and there's, like, some degree of chaos. As I often watch sheep herding. And then it just ends with that moment where all the judges put their scores up at 10 and everyone, like, and then, like when they do all the tens it becomes even bigger cheers and then just like the perfect final moments of the movie is like mm. the sun comes down and illuminates the two of them and farmer hoggett looks down at babe and says that'll do pig that'll do which mm-hmm. again just floods of tears an iconic line i simply must tell a story this is the podcast to tell a story <laughs> Yeah, sorry. sorry to be the first tangent on this otherwise very focused episode. A female friend of mine, her partner, calls her pig because, like, I guess at some point said that'll do pig or something like that and it stuck as a nickname and he calls her pig all the time and she told us one day about she was having a very bad day and she had to say the sentence to him, could you not call me pig just for today? <laughs> I just was like, I mean, look, we all have weird, cutesy nicknames with partners and stuff, but just the notion of calling your partner pig on a regular basis, risky, risky business, but hey. Yeah, that'll do pig, an iconic line in in cinema history. Genuinely, probably one of the 50 best lines in the history of cinema. Yeah, I would agree. Like, I say that'll do pig very frequently. I do believe that, like, James Cromwell, like, has said in interviews that, like, he saw this as a moment of, like, forgiving his father and, like, he, mm-hmm. and, like coming to terms with, like, his father's praise at the end. Which, obviously, yeah, okay. obviously. <laughs> it is always very measured affection. Like, obviously, when, when Babe is, like, close to death, you get more affection out. But, like, he maintains his stern relationship with them at all times. There is that level of distance. It is very, like, you know, boss and do as I say kind of thing. And that very measured, you know, that'll do. More meaningful than any, I love you so much, you cute little pig you. The alternate take. Yeah, it's it's like a perfect 
commanding of tone. Again, there are probably kids' movies that would get overly saccharine in this moment, and this movie knows exactly where to pitch the emotional level of this final scene. I love it, and like it's part of my thing where like I'm not going to discredit a movie because it isn't like aiming for something higher. I will give five star movies to movies that I think deserve it because they fully achieve what they intend to set out to do. Yeah. As opposed to like I'm not gonna give it to like an Oscar bait movie that's like attempting to to tackle like some serious thing if it isn't actually grappling with it in an interesting way. Whereas I think Babe is a perfect example of like tends to be yeah i mean i think we've talked a lot on the website about like you know rewarding ambition but there is something to be said for like trying being ambitious and like falling incredibly short of the mark versus like you know having not lower expectations but you know setting your sights differently and nailing your task kind of thing (laughs) there is definitely something to be said for that and look i'm not gonna go with you on the journey to five stars 10 out of 10 i i simply can't do it my credibility means too much to me as a critic please listen to the hundreds of podcasts that go against that but yes it is a very well-made family film and they don't make them like this anymore and that's sad Obviously, I'm somewhat thrilled for the rise of animation as an art form and and getting that recognition, but, like, there still should be space for things like this, and it just ends up being sort of straight-to-DVD schlock with just garbage not made by anyone notable. And they used to, you know, give it a good go (laughs) with things like Babe and Matilda and so on and so on. Yeah, like, like again, yeah, Paddington is, is the era yeah. to this. But like, I was trying to think, like, is there a live-action family movie from the 2000s that I also feel this simply passionate for? And I'm like, no, because that's when they were doing the, like, pseudo-ironic thing of, like, Cat in the Hat, and I'm like, grim. Like, that movie has none of the heart or the, the creativity behind this movie. It's just, again, it's, like personality based like the, the like Jim Carrey is the Grinch <laughs> yeah exactly like it instead becomes well this person's popular with kids so we'll stick them in a funny costume and mm. make them prance around and do their shtick and it's like no yeah. like, what do you want to be like this is probably James Cromwell's most notable film yeah take out your notebooks and, and, and pay attention to Cromwell being a generous scene partner with farm animals actually looking at his IMDb most it's not in his four most well known on, on oh. known for on IMDb. I cannot figure out the algorithm for that. I mean, I don't want to know because it would ruin it because a frequent game in pubs was pick random person and predict what their top four on IMDb is. Okay. And okay. it's just... We're, we're going to finish this off okay. with the wildest one in recent ones. So can you guess okay. Florence Pugh's four known fours? Black Widow? No. Alright, Midsummer. Nope. Fighting With My Family? Nope. Little Women? Nope. This is the only thing she's in! <laughs> Wow, I've never gone 0 for 4 before. Um, yeah, I'm out. Uh, you only get four guesses. The Falling, Marcella, Lady Macbeth, and The Commuter. None of those are real movies, Ben. Lady Macbeth is good. You've made all of these movies up, and I named the four movies she's actually in, and none of them are on there. What? <laughs> I've always assumed it is some combination of most, like, ratings by audience combined with, like... I don't know, money it made or some shit. I, I don't know, because it's like Tom Hanks, I think two of his four are Toy Story films or something, and it's like, I can understand one of the four, but two, really? Florence Pugh is the 85th most popular actress on IMDb this week, and none of her four known fours are actually her known fours. That's fucking ridiculous. IMDb, sort your shit out. Amazon, stop building towns, start fixing IMDb and box office mojo. 
have fun editing this episode. I'm just not going to edit it. I'm just going to dump this online with the with the music at either end and maybe move your cat dying to the end. I do hope your cat is okay. Oh no, he's out and about. He's fine. Okay, fine. He's chilling. Right. So, Matthew, <laughs> what are we doing next week? So, Fucking like, if. Hell. If this was chaos, I am very intrigued to see how next week goes, because we are covering Empire Records, and if you know anything about Matt and I, it's the fact that we met in a record store. We sure did. We lived Empire Records. Um, I shot a shoplifter frequently. Yes, yes. Rex Manning Day, definitely a thing. A movie that made less than $1 million, I learned this morning. It's just an incredible feat. I guess this is my babe. We will talk all about Empire Records and our wacky experiences in retail next week. So, to sign off, Matthew, mm. will there be movies? I mean, there's, there's nothing. We've said every... My original... I, ha- I came in here with a bit where I was just going to ignore you and make you keep repeating it and then ask you for the password, but you opened with you, so I refuse to give you anything. <laughs> Goodbye. Enjoy Ben's cat dying. That'll do, pig. That'll do. <laughs> but they are, they are an unlikely... Sorry? The cat's vomiting. Okay, fun. Do you need to deal with that, or...? Um, that was more liquid than I expected it to be. <laughs> we'll this might be the worst podcast <laughs> slash best podcast <laughs> we've ever done. We'll let that sit for a while. That might be Alex's wake-up. Just day. really, like... You know, let it effervesce. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, Mary and Michael. I can't, I can't. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Most unlikely on-screen couple, probably. <laughs> I may just not edit this one. <laughs> just presented without comment. <laughs> I think he's got a hairball that he's really struggling to get out. Right. <sighs> just sounds like he's dying. <laughs> Oh, God. Do we just include this as, like, the outro to the episode? Yeah, fine, fuck it. <laughs>